It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Hey guys, it's your host, Brian Preston, sitting across from Mr. Bo Hanson. Hope you all have had an incredible holiday season. Um, we're still, you know, we're just now welcoming in 2015, which is unbelievable. I can remember when um, I was a younger person, I used to think about where I'd be in 1999, <laughs> celebrating the, the pass of um, going into a new century. And here we are in 2015. It just, it's unbelievable to see how fast time is moving. It is crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, I, um, this show is going to be a unique one because it was inspired by one of you guys, actually one of our podcast clients, plus Kevin likes it when we give him shout-outs. Shout he'll probably he's gonna tell him what he'll do after we, he notices we gave him another shout-out in the show, and even though he, and he finds out he's the inspiration. But I always get nervous, and I told you guys right before we started recording, I kind of came in grumpy today. Yeah. Grumpy days, you know, it's because... It's oh, raining outside, it's overcast it's today. It's ugly, it's cold, and, um, you know, I had a few skirmishes around the house because, you know, coming out of the holidays, things. And so I, I told you guys, and y'all, y'all were very nice to me. I said, 85% of the time, I feel like I'm in a great mood. And y'all said, you think that number pings north of that, maybe, I don't know. Y'all are probably just being nice to me. I appreciate that. But I am in a grumpy mood, and I'm hoping it doesn't come through the podcast. Maybe, maybe... The show must go on mentality will will kind of rise above the blueness of the weather and everything else that I got going on. But um, kind of this this show topic is in my wheelhouse though because I think I'm uniquely qualified to talk about this topic. Uh, I had a listener who's also a client, and now I'd even call him a friend now because we've gotten where we trade emails all the time talking about things. Where he asked, he said, "It's time, you know, I have I know you guys have that podcast. It's talking about time to go pro." Um, on financial advisor, he goes, how about on accountants? You know, it's getting to be tax season. When do I know I need to hire an accountant, a CPA, a tax preparer? Sure. So I'm going to give you the thoughts that I shared with Kevin. Plus, I'm going to give you some research that I found from Tax Girl. You know, I've, I've quoted um, Kelly's stuff in the past because I think she does a pretty good job. She's also got a unique background in the fact that she's um, a JD, means she's an attorney, but she's also an attorney that's got a specialization in tax. She's got the LLM, so that's a that's a pretty big deal in tax circles. So I've got some some tips that she has on screening an accountant. And then Bo, I came and told you the idea, and you said, well, let's take it a step further. After we get through accountants, because let's face it, accountants are kind of boring. Mm-hmm. We'll go into other service providers, and you know, just what you should expect from your property and casualty insurance provider, your life, disability, as well as maybe long term care insurance provider. Um, we even had your your financial advisor. I mm-hmm. think that was probably a good way for us to close it out. So we're going to talk about what to expect from your service providers, but the probably the heavy lifting is going to come as we talk about the CPAs here in the beginning because it is tax preparation season. Um, before I jump into all that, let me go ahead and give you the, the, the things you need to know about this show. First of all, this is The Money Guy Show. Go check us out, money-guy.com. From the website, you can sign up for a free membership just so you can get pinged and and notified every time there's new content out there. You also can sign up for a premium membership that will let you have access to all of our archives all the way back to 2006. That's right. We're getting close to have been doing this for 10 years. Unbelievable. Talking about time passing. Mm -hmm. That's a big milestone. Um, The other thing you can find on our website, you can get connected to us on Twitter, 
Facebook, all the other great places. Really appreciate all the support you guys have done over the years. Only by the, the, the help that you guys have provided through iTunes, through Stitcher, through iHeartRadio. That's how we've been successful. That's how we've stayed relevant, and I just appreciate that. You, you'd even mentioned in show prep, Brian, you wanted to say something. You know, We kind of closed out our last show in sort of an interesting way, asking for some feedback from listeners. And, I mean, how amazing was the feedback that we received? I, I kind of can't believe how many emails we did get from listeners saying, hey, you might want to think about this or you might want to consider this. Thank you guys so, so much for kind of giving us some insight and giving us some tips on, on some things you'd like to hear from us going forward. And it also it shows me, this is what I love about this show, is I can make a request like that, and people that that's actually how they get paid are actually out there listening to the show <laughs> and send us over some professional guidance on things. So don't think that we didn't notice it. I know we've had a chance to write a few of you back. A few of the others, we, we're probably working on that but really, really great information that y'all shared. So kind of let me jump in. I'll, I'll shift gears and go right into the, the how do you hire a tax preparer or CPA. And what? let's first set the stage here. Why do I think I'm uniquely qualified to talk about this? Is that um, a lot of you know, if you ask me, if you met me out in a social event and people say, Brian, what do you do for a living? I always kind of make a joke of the fact that I say I'm a reformed CPA. And they say, well, what does that mean that you're a reformed CPA? I said, I realize that Taxes are really cool, but I enjoyed more of getting... Did you just say taxes are really cool? I want to make sure that I heard that right. Remember, I'm nerdy. It's okay. I'm grumpy enough that I can admit my faults right now because it's easy to be self-deprecating when you're, you're upset. So I, I am nerdy enough that, yes, I think taxes can be cool, especially if you can figure out how to maneuver around them legally and minimize those taxes. But also, when I say I'm a reformed CPA, it means that I got out of doing compliance work. I got out of doing just tax and audit type work. And I got into doing financial planning and consulting um, many years ago. But that's how I'll lead into it is I'm a reformed CPA. And, and what I also mean by that is that I did taxes, oh gosh, 16, 17 years. I mean, it's because um, I think I am up on my 20-year mark of being out of college. God, you, you know, Just 20 years out of high school is a big deal. When you get to 20 years out of college, you really start to even feel even more old. But um Maybe I should say older instead of more old. But, yeah. but anyway, anyway, remember I've been out of college 20 years, so the English doesn't <laughs> stick. But the thing is, is that I've had a lot of tax seasons under my belt. And then about three, three and a half years ago, I sold my tax preparation business. I was doing financial planning, but I was also, because remember, when I started my firm in 2002, I, I, I left a very large, the largest fee-only wealth management firm in the southeast, started my company, but I didn't have business. I was kind of nuts. I left the, I started my own company without a lot of clients. <laughs> I had one client from the firm that they agreed that I should transition with. And then I had my mother because remember my father had passed away and that's what kind of spurred it. And that was it. I didn't have any clients. So I needed money. So I had a background in doing public accounting and tax preparation. So I, I moonlighted in the evenings reviewing tax returns for one of my buddies, CPA firms that he was a partner at. And then I also started picking up tax preparation business on the side, too. And I, it just kind of grew. And that was what helped pay the bills when I started this company. So I think I'm uniquely qualified to talk about what is a good tax preparer slash CPA because I've walked in those shoes. Mm -hmm. So it gives me a, a little bit of a, a vision that I think somebody who's not in that field can't share. Um, but also, I wanted to kind of give some color to, to what Kelly Phillips, you know, she's the, the tax girl, what she talks about. And she put out an article, this was in Forbes 
This came out, when did, when did Kelly write this? Kelly wrote this actually um, January of 2014. So you think about it, date we're recording this show, we're probably a little ahead of the curve because you're going to start seeing a bunch of columns focusing on this exact topic because this is the time we start thinking about, hey, I might need to get some help on my taxes this year. So she had the 11 questions to ask when hiring a tax preparer. Now, I'm not going to go over all 11. I'm just going to kind of bounce through them because there's a few of these that you know I think are great for her piece, and we'll put a link to it on money-guy.com. But um, I'm just going to go through the ones I think I can add a little insight into and that are also very important. She, the, the second one she listed on her list of 11 was, what's your tax background? And I thought this was good because we've done shows on the alphabet soup of financial advisors of all the different credentials you could have. She even, I thought it was interesting, the first one she put on here was a certified financial planner. And I guess there are some CFPs that are doing tax preparation. You don't see a ton of them. But she talks about that a certified financial planner, both Bo and myself, um, as well as Gabe here in the office, and then our other office has, you know, several CFPs at it. But all certified financial planners do have some tax knowledge, you know, because that's part of what you do have to take a test on. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're specializing in tax preparation, but right. it does mean a, a CFP does have some background in at least understanding the basics of taxation. Um, she goes on and she talks about a certified public accountant, CPA. Bo knows, I'm going to brag on the fact that I have a CPA. Mm-hmm. You know, I am a reformed CPA. Here's what she had to say on that. She says, a CPA is, a certified, is, is certified by the state to act as a public accountant. A CPA is the only licensed qualification qualification in accounting. To be certified, candidates are required to pass an exam. They're required to pass an exam. Okay, you don't want me to Fair editorialize enough. that, nope. right? Okay, okay, I'll keep going. Most states also require an ethics. There's more to that story, but I'm going to bite my tongue so I don't want to upset anybody. Most states also require an ethics exam or course as well as continuing education credits. Um, it, she goes on and says the CPA may specialize in many different areas, so you probably want to find someone that, if you, for instance, if you are a small business owner, you need to find a CPA that is very versed in, you know, S-corporations, sure. 1120s, partnership tax returns, flow-throughs, those type of things. I'll get into that even more, but you just need to make sure that the CPA that you're focusing on has a specialty in the area that, that kind of hits you in, in your wheelhouse of what your, your needs are. She talks about an enrolled agent. That's an EA. Has they, an EA is, has earned the privilege of representing taxpayers before the Internal Revenue Service. By the way, CPAs can represent you in front of the Internal Revenue Service, too. I think she, I don't know if she mentioned that. By either passing a three-part comprehensive IRS test or through experience as a former IRS employee. EA status is the highest credential the IRS awards. EAs must adhere to ethical standards and complete 72 hours of continuing education courses every three years. Now, and and Kelly didn't mean anything by it, but she can't write a a full three-page write-up on every one of these things. Somebody had written in the comments they were mad because she had listed that enrolled agents are required to get 72 hours of continuing ed. And they were like, well, that's not fair because CPAs are required to get 80 hours like every two years or something right. like that, depending upon which state we're talking about. Kelly came back and quickly corrected. She said, look, every state's different on what their licensing and, and you know continuing education requirements are. I couldn't put it all down on paper. Just know that CPAs, attorneys, have to do a lot of continuing ed as well. But she was just trying to show that enrolled agents is a very much a respected form of people who can do your taxes as well. She next transitions into a J.D., which is um, a law degree. 
And then she also mentions an LLM is a master's in law. It could be in taxation, but other areas of law also offer an LLM. As with a CPA, candidates are required to pass, the, pass an exam, an ethics exam, or course and take continuing education credits. Having a law degree or two doesn't necessarily mean that an attorney prepares tax returns. For, for example, I have a JD and, and also an LLM for taxation, but I no longer prepare returns. I do planning and focus on areas of tax compliance. Other lawyers might have, a very, uh, have, might have had very little in the way of tax experience, you don't have to demonstrate competence in tax laws to pass the bar in most states. So it's just, I think she's there at, once again telling you to focus on what, how have they earned that? Because sure. it's not uncommon to see tax attorneys that haven't done a lot of tax preparation, but they are outstanding at representing you in front of the Internal Revenue Service. So you just need to, it depends on really what your needs are. Um, and then she, Gabe, you'll like this one as well as you, Bo. She talks about VITA. It's the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program, which is a volunteer trained by the IRS to prepare basic returns. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that, Bo? Yeah, the VITA program was great. It's actually something we were required to do in college. Uh, essentially, uh, it's a pro bono service providing uh, fairly simple returns, no business returns, anything like that, but 1040 EZs. And uh, it was a fantastic experience learning how to, uh, how to prepare tax returns. Really, really cool thing to do. Um, and then she, she closes out with just other categories. She says, other accountants, bookkeepers, and tax preparers may be able to demonstrate competence but may not have formal credentials. That doesn't mean you shouldn't give them a look. Just ask you know, what they do and why they're qualified mm-hmm. to do it. And I think that's probably good generalized advice. Um, she goes on, number three, and this is I've already kind of hit on this. She says, have you prepared a tax return before for, and then fill in the blank. And what she's asking for there is that, if, if you're a business owner, as I told you, you need to make, find somebody who specializes specifically in doing small business returns. If you have somebody who um, is very familiar with rental property and Schedule E's, that's important. Schedule C's for people who are going to be self-employed and have not incorporated outside of or added enough to where they're filing separate tax returns for the businesses. Pass-through entities, I mean, if you're getting a bunch of K-1s from some partnerships and investments that you've done. And then, of course... You know, it, I'm always surprised at how many people think that we do, all accountants do everything. And there, there's obviously specialties. If you, if you know, how many charities, foundations, there's fiduciary returns, there's estate returns, there's all kind of different specialties. You just need to make sure that whoever you're working with has experience in those areas that you're looking for. Um, number four, and this one I actually have some experience that I can share my local story on this is she says, do you know the requirements of the states and the localities? where I'm required to file. Back when I graduated from um, University of Georgia with my accounting degree, I was working at a CPA firm, and of course, I was just to help my friends and family, I was doing returns for them. Now, I wasn't making money. I was you know, just doing it as a courtesy for my friends and family because I didn't know any better at the time. I can still remember one of my friends moved up to Hoboken. And, um, you know, because he was, he was working up in New York City, and he asked me to help him out doing his taxes. So I helped him out doing his taxes. Well, he called me back probably six months later. He's like, Brian, I found out from another neighbor that I should have gotten a credit, like a renter's credit. And I was huh. like, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, they, here locally, they have like a credit. If you live, make the, fit these credentials, you know, you're employed in this and this and this. And I was like, I've never heard of that. And sure enough, I went and looked it up and did a Google search and, that was a credit he was eligible for. Well, I didn't know anything about that because, you know, I was 
kind of green behind the ears on my tax preparation knowledge and didn't know about all those local. I knew local taxation elements and incentives that they had written into the code. So I can tell you from my own experience, make sure if you're when you hire a CPA, if your locality has some unique things to it, you you want to have somebody who knows that stuff. Now I will tell you, doesn't mean you can't hire somebody from out of state. Because I've gotten a lot better. I learned, just like all things, when you make a mistake, it's usually easy to take that mistake and say, I'm never going to make that mistake again. Now, whenever I prepare or I was preparing tax returns for people out of state, in the tax preparation software, you can go into, they will usually have separate screens for each lo- you know, location, and they'll have, you can just go through and see if there's any special credits or other tax incentives. I started paying a lot more inten- attention to those state and local sections of the tax preparation software from that learning experience sure. I had that. I just just make sure you ask them that so you know if they're going to cover you locally. Um, number five, what records and other documentation will you need from me? And this is one, I want to give you some just general advice on what I think an accountant should do for you is that I always t- find out if you're working with a tax preparer or somebody who's going to not just help you with the compliance side of it, but also be a tax planner for you. And the reason I say this is, and this is the advice I gave Kevin when he had written me the emails, I said, make sure, I'll just read what I said. I said, I believe that a good accountant will look at tax preparation as not only a compliance transaction, but a chance to consult you on planning opportunities in areas that you can save money by legally lowering your taxes. If you find an account that is looking for angles slash deductions that could save you money, there's a good chance their advice or guidance could help you recover the preparation fee. And it's true. When I was doing taxes, I was trying to find as many deductions as possible because I felt like if I could get them enough deductions to pay my fee, they were going to come out of the whole transaction smiling. Plus, they're more likely to go tell their friends and family about how good I was. And remember, when I started the company and I was doing this, I needed money. So this was this is why I was very incentivized in making people super happy with the services. And I think that's when she talks about what records or other documentation will you need from me? I'm always shocked when, and I don't want to give brand names, but I will tell you it's the places that, you know, they specialize in doing taxes every year. They have, you know, advertisements. Big volume guys. Big volume guys. I tell people when you show up with your shoebox full of, of tax forms that you've, you know, put your envelope next to the where you sort mail and you go home, if you show up with what's in that shoebox, that's what they're going to do your tax return with. There might be a questionnaire. They'll ask you to check through a few boxes, but there's usually not a lot of sit-down-and-interview opportunities there for them to find tax planning strategies. I think when you talk to your potential tax preparer, Find out if they're going to, what type of tax preparer they are. Are they going to look for those angles and edges to legally, notice I said legally, find ways for you to save money on your taxes? Mm-hmm. Um, I even went a step further when I was writing this email to, to Kevin. Here's some of the things that I always told people. I, I had some, I mean, this is, it's so simple. Every time, this is what I call the low-lying fruit of tax preparation. Um, additional charitable deductions. You know, you just ask your clients, you sure you didn't have, you didn't do this, you didn't do this? You know, oh yeah, I did do 250 to that. You know, you usually could find another 250, $300 of charitable tax deductions. Unreimbursed employee deductions. I find out somebody's a salesperson. I look through their tax organizer or their notes and I say, so you, did they give you a car? Did you have to drive? I mean, 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I put 45,000 miles a year on my car. Well, did you get reimbursed? No, no, they don't reimburse. Where's that? Where's that documentation? Because that could be a very big expense deduction. So I'd always look for unreimbursed employee deductions. Local and state taxes, that's the one everybody left out. You know, if they had a boat, uh, you know, even a car, and they had to pay tag fees or anything, all that stuff's deductible. Right. Those tag fees are all deductible. I used to always ask about those. Education credits. If you know somebody's in school, maybe they're going on, you know, especially after the Great Recession of 2008, a lot of people, you know, were deciding, hey, I either need to go back to school to get some more, you know, training on this, or they had children who had reached college age. I always used to look for education credits or, or some education deductions if I knew somebody in the house was in school. Child care credits. In this day and time when both husband and wife are usually working, if you find out that they're both working and they have children that are, you know, pre-kindergarten age, you could there's credits you qualify for dependent care that is very easy to go out there and get. So I always used to ask for that type of stuff. Um, and then the, the tax planning opportunities, I mean, it was as simple as, you know, looking at their retirement contributions, go pulling the W-2, looking at how much they had put into their retirement accounts, seeing how close they were to the next tax level, and saying, hey, you realize if you did this, you might be able to say, lower your, your tax bracket. Or maybe you ought to look at See if there's a Roth opportunity within your 401k, or if you consider doing Roth 401ks. Um, hey, I see that you're you're self-employed. Have you looked at health savings accounts? Those type of things are huge opportunities. You just need to figure out if your tax preparer is a, more of a consultant, or are they just going to be a preparer for you? And I think that's what she was talking about. Kind of also understanding what type of documentation that you need to bring in as well. Um, number six, how do you determine your fees? She, she made note. She said, note the wording on this one. I didn't ask how much the fee would be, but rather asked how they calculate the fees. And that's such a big point is that a lot of people, I think, will think cheap is better, but you have to be careful on that because all those things I just talked about on the previous point, I think you can quickly realize that somebody who's going to probably take this more as a consultant opportunity to find planning opportunities for you is probably not going to be as cheap. Sure. Or cost a, a you know well cheap is probably is yep. the right word as the person that that you just show up unannounced without an appointment and then sit in the lobby for forty five minutes and they prepare your tax return you walk out it's going to be a different transaction and I think that the, you're going to know that there's a little bit of a premium but you're hoping my thought would be as a as a as a client is I'm I'm hoping that I'm paying this premium so that I can get some additional savings or or at least some planning opportunities out of it where it's worth it every every penny that I pay on that. Um, skipping through, because I think everybody should file electronically pretty much, so that's a standard thing. I thought this one was important because a lot of people don't understand it. Who will sign my return? Um, I will tell you guys, I had a few returns in my career that I actually, in the middle of the pr preparation process, um, I told the client I wasn't going to sign their return because I just didn't feel that some of the things that they were trying to claim as deductions were appropriate. Um, so I told them that I was not going to be able to sign this return and warrant the, the work on it because a good preparer will, and, and why do I say give a warranty on the work? I know when I was doing tax preparation, if you got a notice or an audit notice or something like that, if there was a request for more money, obviously I didn't cover the additional taxes because, I mean, if a deduction was missed, or, or something was done inappropriately, if you owe the additional taxes, you owe the additional taxes. You weren't going to get out of that anyway. But if there was any interest or penalties, I used to cover that. Sure. I mean, when I felt like that was part of me 
guaranteeing my work and the quality of my work is that if I made a mistake, I was going to pay the penalties as well as any interest that came up. Um, I did not cover you on the audit for free because a lot of times the IRS would come in there and audit you. Even if there was no mistake, they just wanted to get clarification on something. If you had to do an in-person audit, I would charge extra for those. And I'll get into that in a minute because that's something later she talks about. Um, but that, that's something that I think is very important is knowing who will sign your return because that's who's going to have to stand behind the return. Um, I'll skip through a few more of these other ones. <laughs> I thought this one was good. How do I find you if I have a question or problem after tax season or is over? This is very important. How often do you see car dealerships are now doing tax preparation or you almost see street corner tax preparers where they just, you know, they're in the Walmart parking lot or something. You'll see people that will prepare your taxes. How do you find those people if you get a, a letter from the IRS? I would be very concerned about going to somebody that was a fly-by-night type place. Um, I would try to have somebody that can be held accountable if something goes wrong with the tax preparation. So I think that's very, very important. And then the last thing, and then we'll move on to these other service providers because I know we started carrying this on a little longer. What happens if I get audited? I've already touched on it briefly. There is nothing, it doesn't mean your preparer is bad if you get audited, by the way. The government audits a certain number of tax returns. I had actually several audits. Fortunately, I mean, I did taxes 15, 16 years, I think. I only sat through three official audits. I mean, we got letters every year. I don't, guys, when you get a letter from the IRS, that's not an audit. Um, that just means that the IRS might be asking for clarification on issue. And believe it or not, I mean, I, I, the vast amount of data that the IRS is going through, a lot of times you've done nothing wrong. So don't just pay the number that the IRS puts on those letters because a lot of times they are just confused on the way the process has been calculated and you just need to give them a little more clarification. I'd probably, if I was giving you an off-the-cuff percentage of how many of those tax notices actually required additional fees, it probably was only 25 to 30% of them. Sure. The other 70% we're just a matter of us writing a few letters and getting the issue clarified. So be careful when those letters come through in the mail. Pass those back to your tax preparer. That's the other thing that I would ask. And by the way, if the tax preparer made the mistake, they should fix all the things for you as part of their, their warranty of work. However, and it happened all the time, if the client screwed up, meaning that you guys forgot to put in the shoebox a basic thing, or you did a transaction and told nobody about it and there was no way for the CPA to know about it because it was a brand new transaction and you didn't put it in the shoebox, that's your fault. Mm -hmm. I mean, even I could ask you all the questions in the world, but nobody knows your business like you. So I did. I would actually charge on those letters. If I had to write a letter and I, and it, and I told you, hey, by the way, this was your mistake because there was no record of this in the file, um, I would charge them the hourly rate. However, if there was, um, it was, if it was a mistake that I made, I would cover, I'd write those letters. Or even if it was just a letter where nobody made a mistake, and I don't know, maybe this is not practical from a CPA standpoint, I used to cover those. Even mm -hmm. if the client didn't make a mistake, I didn't make a mistake, but the IRS asked for additional clarification, I would write those letters as a courtesy for the client, even though they're really annoying to write two or three letters to the IRS for something you made zero mistakes on. But those are some things... Um, that I think are important. The key thing, I guess, after closing out on the checklist is make sure you understand what you're going to get out of this transaction. If you're just looking for somebody to prepare the tax return, that's easy. If you're looking for somebody to kind of step in and, and go through those low-lying fruit 
moments that I shared with you on things I was always looking for and find ways to trim your taxes, pay attention and ask a few questions of the, that preparer. And the only, the only little nugget of wisdom I'll throw in there, and we actually learned this the hard way, Brian, is if you are a self-preparer, hiring an accountant is not a magic bullet that's going to automatically save you money in taxes. Uh, it's not certain that if you hire a professional uh, accountant, he's going to be able to do something that you weren't able to do on your own. So just want to be very forthcoming with that. We still recommend hiring professional accountants, but there's no guarantee you're going to get save on taxes just because you do so. Yeah, and my podcast listeners know who they are. I had a few that are podcast clients, brilliant people, by the way, and it's two separate people. That's why I think it's funny is that I, they listen to me, hired professional accountants, and then I didn't realize that they were also self-preparing in the background while they hired these CPAs, and they came up with the exact same answers as a CPA, and then they were like, why did I I hire this guy? (laughs) And so I I have had to tell them, well, maybe you're the exception to the rule because you are brilliant just in the fact, not only in education, but just the way your mind is structured. Um, But I think for the majority of people, I will tell you, I no longer even prepare my own taxes. That might shock you, but as I sold my tax preparation business, that was part of the purchase, is that they are doing my taxes as part of the agreement because we felt like that would help with the transition. And I thought I'd miss it. After 16 years of doing taxes, I thought that I'd cry that I wasn't coming in on Saturdays eating donuts and enjoying you know, how fun it is to do the, the, the jigsaw puzzle of a tax preparation. But I don't miss it. So, I mean, it's um, one of those things I think there is some value to getting somebody to do your taxes. Um, let's transition, Bo. We had a few on here. I figure first let's talk about the insurance guys. Sure. I had, I know we, we did this over lunch. We did some some show prep, PNC agents. Okay. Um, now, I'm noticing as I'm going through my show notes, I didn't do all my homework because I was going to go pull the consumer reports of the top PNC carriers. Right. Um, we, we, haven't, we haven't looked it up, but what we did is we called, uh, we had one of our clients who specializes in insurance, and we asked him, hey, what are some tips you could give us uh, for PNC agents as well as like life, disability, long-term care. Yep. And he said, well, what you're going to find is when you start doing your research, um, there are really three companies that pretty consistently come to the top of the list as it relates to who are the best property and casualty insurance providers out there. And he said that those three companies who generally kind of rise to the top as some of the best are USAA, Amica, and Auto Owners. So if you're already using one of those companies... Um, you're probably doing pretty good in terms of their service, uh, how competitive their rates are, and what they're able to do for you. Um, I know that there are other really, really good property and casualty insurance agencies out there. These aren't the only three you should go with, but these just happen to be three of the best out there. Um, we also, we were asking this individual, we said, you know, what are some of the things that a good property and casualty agent might do? What are some of the things that they might really be able to help you out with um, and he said kind of the biggest thing that a property and casualty agent can do is they want to put some teasers in their calendar, have some reminders where they go in and monitor changes to your personal situation. Um, so maybe, uh, I think the example he gave us is maybe if you have a, a driving violation or a citation on your record, after so many years it drops off and your premium will actually go down because you're rated in a different class, your agent should kind of have at least a loose idea of those sorts of things so that you can, uh, so that you can, so that he can let you know, hey, you might qualify for lower premiums if we just revisit this, look at reapplying for the policy, save you some money on there. Same thing as you have changing life circumstances. Maybe you buy different homes, different automobiles, new automobiles, boats. Uh, it might make sense to increase or change your coverage 
you want to have a property casualty insurance agent who at least annually checks in with you and says, hey, what are the things that have changed? Uh, what sort of life circumstances um, have happened to you that might warrant a change in your insurance coverage? He also mentioned in this annual review, you want someone who's kind of watching out for your back pocket. Are they asking you about strategies such as raising your deductible or shopping different companies? Um, one question you want to ask is, is the insurance agent you're using a captive agent, meaning they only work for one company? Uh, these, a lot of the, uh, the commercials out there you see for prop, uh, pro property and casualty insurance, uh, insurance agents are agents for captive agencies, or are they independent? Can they go out there and shop all of the different insurance companies out there? If they are a captive agent, the one question you want to make sure you ask is, why did you choose this company? Why does this specific company make the most sense for me? Um, and then one other thing that he mentioned is, is your, uh, is your agent looking for holes in coverage? Do they understand their industry? Uh, and he said, you know, a, a really easy low-lying fruit for a property and, ca property and casualty agent is do they recommend umbrella insurance coverage? And if you don't have an umbrella policy, but you have some decent assets or at least some decent earning potential, it may be something you want to look at. And that's kind of a low-lying fruit thing that a really good agent who understands their industry might recommend to you. Y'all notice I went quiet for a little bit. Bo knows what happened. Is I'm, I'm like a, a, you know, if you ever watch the movie Up, and they have the dog that, you know, he sees a squirrel and he goes in a different direction. When I realized I had not done my homework, because we just had, we had this lunch with our, with a friend of ours who's, you know, big insurance broker. And, um, I just want, I hate, I don't do product recommendations on this show. So I mean, I get very nervous when we start saying product names without me verifying the, the data that was given. But now I feel silly because, um, I just pulled up the consumer reports of the top three insurance companies. And their rankings, I kid you not, this is mad props for our friend because he just did this off the cuff. Number one, with a ranking of 94, was, is that Amica? I think Amica. Amica, Amica. yeah, that sounds better. It sounds fancier than Amica. Amica, 92 was USAA, so that's the service members. And then the third one was auto owners. Look so at mad that. props to to our buddy for, for being spot on without um, even having to have the sheet of paper in front of him because we just, off the cuff, he, we were going to lunch with him and we just dropped this on him out of nowhere. So that was really good. I think you all, did you add the, you know, the person in addition to the umbrella coverage, also the unlisted items, just kind of going oh, through yeah. the checklist. Yep. If you've got, you know, nice watches, nice jewelry, you know, handgun collection or, or an old antique Paintings, coin collection. Art. I mean, those type of things. Your your agent needs to be looking for holes in your protection. Um, I thought you did a great job, Bo, going through that while I was going through my frantic, frantic. Um, I can't speak today. I'm not only grumpy. I can't speak, but um, to go through there and, and verify that data, so we we're ma weren't making a product endorsement without actually knowing the data. Um, life, disability, and long term care, Bo. Um, we had talked about. This one's a tough one because we know that there's agents out there listening, and I don't want this to sound bad because I know I would be very upset because I had a hard time paying people. Of, I started this company when I was 28 years old, and I was so mad when I was 28 because I felt like I had a lot to offer, but I was young enough that people sometimes didn't take me serious just because of my age. And um, people are going to hate the next thing I say, but I think it does pertain in the insurance field to a degree. As I said, 
I think that you should, when you're shopping for an insurance agent, you should find a, a successful slash established agent, somebody who's not super hungry so that they can pay their mortgage or their, their car payment. And I know that's going to upset some people, but here's my thought on that. As I've worked in the industry long enough, I'm going on two decades of, of managing money and other things is that I've seen is, is that insurance is one of those things. I've even sold insurance myself is that it is, it really is. I'm trying not to get too nerdy with my reference. It could be like the force in Star Wars. <laughs> I knew that's where you were going. <laughs> well, I, I, I could literally I see your brain moving to get there. <laughs> is that insurance is such a needed thing. I mean, I have so much insurance that if something happens to me, my family's taken care of because I really do think it's such a, such a necessary thing. But because of the way the compensation structure is organized within the insurance industry, you have to be careful with how insurance is structured. And sometimes when you're young and you're trying to pay bills, you know, it's kind of like the old Looney Tune cartoons where Bugs Bunny, you knew I was going to say it. I've been saying it saying it to clients. I've been saying it in the podcast because I've been there. I've been young and I've been hungry. And I know how it is when you're in the desert like Bugs Bunny and you're looking for water and it seems like you go over every hill and there's an oasis over there. That's what it is. You know, you look like that oasis to that person because somebody can sell you an insurance product and they get a hundred percent commission in some of the products. I mean, the first year term premium that you make on those products potentially could be a hundred percent. Some of them are 10%. It depends upon the different products we're talking about. And I just want you to just be careful. Make sure somebody's giving you a guidance off of what you need, not off of what they're trying to sell you. Are they consultants versus salespeople? And I'm not trying to offend anybody. I just want to give that guidance out there. Um, also, make sure that you apply the common sense test. We see this all the time where people will come in to us and they say, Brian, I've got this great thing that was recommended to me. It's going to guarantee this and, and name some rate of return. And that just sounds awesome. I'm going to do it. And I'm like, well, did you ask why they can do such a good deal like that. How can they offer you that guarantee? And they're like, well, because they're really, they're really nice. They like but, me a well, lot. I, and then I start poking holes. I'm like, okay, if you're talking about this, are they locking your money up for 10 to 12 years? I don't know. Are there any surrender fees? Uh, I don't know. I mean, a lot of times products can offer you things because they can control your behavior. And my big thing with insurance is, especially if you're talking about insurance, if you're considering it as an investment type thing, and you get into some of these, these type of agents, they can get into crossover from not only protecting your own life, disability, and long-term care, they can try to go into the investment marketplace as well, is that a lot of times, if you can't vote with your feet, and what I mean by that is if you get upset, like somebody hires us, they get mad at us, they can leave. I mean, it's just the fact of the matter is that we, we try to keep them so happy that they're addicted to us and that they don't leave because they like being here. But it doesn't have to work that way in all industries. Some industries actually can control your behavior, meaning that they structure it where there's surrender fees or things that make it where you can't touch your money for 10 years. I mean, you can maybe get 5% here, 5% there. But if you wanted to do a mass exit because you were frustrated, there could be tax as well as fees and all kind of other things. So make sure you apply the common sense test that if you if you hear something, it sounds too good to be true, go read the small print to make sure you understand everything that's going on with that product. Um, Bo, I kind of I left the last one, unless you had something else you want to talk about with the insurance agents, advisors. 
Yeah, so this this one's a little unique, and Brian and I were even talking about how do we approach this uh, for this show, because obviously we may have some biases here, because this is kind of what we do as our quote-unquote day job, but we still think we can kind of at least explain to you how the industry is structured, how advisors are different, and what you should look for depending on who you work with. Um, and so that's what we had as so kind of the first thing, is know what kind of advisor you're working with. And we think inside the financial planning realm, there are really three distinct business models. There are commission-based advisors, there are fee-only advisors, and then there's this third that's called fee-based, which is sort of a blend of both. Um, we're not even going to suggest that maybe one is better than the other. We just think that they are different, so we want to explain the differences to you. Uh, a commission-based advisor is exactly what it sounds like. That's an individual who gets paid a commission based on the products they recommend. Generally, this compensation comes from a third-party company who's paying the advisor to recommend or suggest their products. Fee-only is an advisor who's paid directly from the client. Um, and so this can actually happen in, we think, three separate ways. One way is based on the assets that the advisor helps you manage. One way is based on hourly compensation, kind of the same way that like a CPA or an attorney would work. And then one is based on a subscription model, kind of the same way like Alan Moore mentioned to us a few weeks ago on the show. Um, you just need to understand, depending on which advisor you work with, what sort of service are you looking for. And then also, when you're thinking about that, think about the advisor incentives. Look at it through those lenses. Based on the way that this advisor is compensated, or based on the way that we work together, what is the purpose behind them recommending X, Y, or Z? Is it because it makes sense in my situation, or is it because of the compensation, or is it because of some other factor? Just make sure you understand that when you go into it, and make sure what you know you're looking for. If you're working with someone who holds himself out as a comprehensive advisor, or a holistic advisor, or a relationship advisor, you want to make sure that they're focusing on more than just one area of your financial life. We uh, we like to tell our clients we want to serve as their personal CFO. And what that means is not only do we want to help them with the investments piece, we want to help them with retirement and tax planning and estate planning and insurance planning. Even though we don't uh, prepare taxes or sell insurance or do any of those specific things, we want to make sure that we can speak intelligently on that. And so if your advisor claims to be an advisor who does that, make sure that's a service that they are providing you. Um, Another one we had mentioned was just has knowledge, has more knowledge than simply the products that they recommend. Even if you work with an advisor who is on the commission-based side and he tends to, he or she tends to recommend a certain fund family, ask them why they recommend that fund family and make sure they at least understand what the other investment options are in the universe and why they think the one they're recommending is the best. You just want them to have sort of some meat behind their recommendations. Yeah, and ask people, I always amaze, Bo, Ask them what they thought on, on ETFs and indexing are. Sure. Because, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, the industry is, is changing so fast these days on the different products that are available. Is it, And it's not always an all-or-nothing approach. I mean, I'm always surprised at how many people, you know, a lot of, of the, of, I'll tell you, on the commission side, they have a hard time if you say, hey, I want to do ETFs and indexes. I think they, they kind of cringe a little bit because it doesn't fit super easily into their structure. Same thing if you go to somebody who specializes only in indexes, I think they probably get you know annoyed when you start talking about how there are asset classes where managers sometimes can offer alpha. Sure. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting that, and I think that ties in perfectly when you said make sure they know items and elements outside of just the products that they're pushing. You want to make sure that, and that, that leads perfectly into something I saw you had written down, is knowing their, well, their, their wealth management philosophy. Exactly, yep. 
I mean, it's a it's an important thing. If somebody can't explain to you on their their core philosophies of how they manage money, it it should give you pause because um, this. I think things in life, guys. I'll just tell you whether you're hiring your tax preparer, hiring your property and casualty insurance agent, or life insurance agent, or even your financial advisor. You're going to be able to tell the people that have a passion for it. Mm-hmm. That is, that's the biggest thing is when you sit down or, or interview these people, if you feel like they're doing this because this is their passion, that is going to soak through the conversation and you're going to feel like, I got somebody who's doing what they want to do. And we try to always convey that. People say, well, Brian, you know, I like hiring you because I know you're not an old guy, so you're going to be doing this for a long time. And I said, well, don't worry about that. I said, even even when I turn into an old guy, I don't think I'll ever retire. I love doing this so much. And that's why this podcast has come out of this, is that I cannot imagine not sharing this information. That stuff should show through anybody that you're hiring. If you if you If you interview somebody and it comes off as very transactional, meaning that they're they're here for the check, that might be, you know, your spidey senses probably ought to, to, to tell you that might not be the perfect situation sure. for you. So the, measure the passion, measure, you know, how this person got in their position that they're in, and, you know, and see if you think that they have the depth of knowledge that is going to add value, because you don't have to give a dollar of your money to anybody if you don't feel like it's not adding value. Mm-hmm. And that's the key part. What's the value proposition for you? So, Bo, did I cover for my grumpiness a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I think you, you came out of it a little bit. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll come out of my grumpiness for you guys out there in the tightwad nation, listening in part of the Money Guy family, and then I'll, I'll go back into my hole now after after we get f- finished recording. But I do want to thank you guys Maybe it's just the post-holiday blues, too. You know, we all come out of it. You know, we're so excited about going through these holidays, and we just want to thank you. I know I said at the beginning of the show, but I think you cannot say thank you enough. Thanks for all your support over the years. It means a lot to us. Um, Thanks for the feedback. We're going to be trying to put together something in the next few weeks to let the people who are curious, it's going to still keep the content of the show the way it always has been. We're going to create something that does let people know they want to go to the next level, meaning that we are taking clients, financial planning, wealth management clients, investment management clients, give us a shout-out. We're going to try to make sure it's more prominent on the website and really appreciate y'all's input. But don't worry. If you're just one of those people who want to come in, get out, and get your data, we're not going to change that. We're going to keep it, keep our what's made us popular and made, made this whole show work for almost a decade now. We're not going to change that, but I do appreciate everybody's input. And I'll just close it out with, as I always close it out. I'm your host, Brian Preston. I'll talk to you in about two weeks. If you want to write the show, you can write me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com, or Mr. Bo Hansen, that's B-O, at money-guy.com. Talk to you in two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. <laughs>